Emotions help us understand who we are, what matters to us, how we feel toward our relationships, and how to behave even in social interactions. So emotions help give our lives and our experiences meaning. Hey, thanks so much for joining me on Between the Two of Us, a mental health podcast. I'm your host, Jen Alley, a licensed professional counselor, wife, and mom. In this podcast, we will talk about modern day life as it relates to your mental health. Drawing on my professional experiences of being a therapist the last 14 years, my background in education, and my personal experiences, I want to help you feel less alone in your struggles while teaching you what I wish everyone knew about brain science and mental health. While this podcast isn't therapy, I will offer practical tools and strategies grounded in neuroscience to improve your relationships, life, and mental wellness. Thanks so much for listening. Grab your cup of coffee or your walking shoes and let's get started. Hello, friend, and welcome back to Between the Two of Us. This is your host, Jen Alley, and this is episode six. And we are talking today about emotions because what is a mental health podcast if we are not talking about your feelings? Am I right? So we're going to talk today about emotions, what they are, and why they matter. And, you know, in in our culture, our culture doesn't tend to value emotions. I think we really value intellect and more left brain, rational, knowing sort of things. And we tend to be dismissive of emotions. But today, I hope I can convince you of why they matter and how getting to know your emotional world better can really improve your life and your relationships. So... First of all, similar to last week when we were talking about the mind, the mind has been really hard for scientists to define, and so have emotions. So there's still controversy even around exactly what emotions are, which is kind of funny, right? Because when I tell you about emotions, like you kind of have an idea probably of what I'm talking about. But if I said, what is the definition of an emotion? what would you say? So before we define it, let's first separate out feelings from emotions because even I tend to use those words interchangeably, which is actually not correct. Emotions tend to start as sensations in the body while feelings are our thoughts about those emotions. So feelings are how we interpret our emotions Feelings are a conscious experience, not always, right? We're not always conscious of our feelings. So there's an emotion that comes first, and then our mood is often impacted from a combination of feelings or thoughts about those emotions. So the American Psychological Association defines emotions as conscious mental reactions subjectively experienced as strong feelings usually directed toward a specific object and typically accompanied by physiological and behavioral changes in the body. Emotions essentially play a crucial role in our consciousness and awareness throughout our entire lives. So we're constantly taking in 80 to 90 million bits of data per second, and we are creating these meanings and knowings, and we're having these emotional reactions to it, which are then producing these feelings about our world. And then that helps us to decide how we're going to behave next. So it makes sense that being in touch with the emotions 
is important so that we, we are the driver versus our emotions being the driver because they are kind of driving whatever's going to happen next. And so if you tuned in last week to episode five, we talked a lot about awareness and being able to watch our own minds. And if you haven't listened to that, I highly suggest it because that is helping us, right, to slow this process down, to get really curious about the emotions and to be able to create a pause so that we are, we're not just reacting, So much of our behavior is driven by emotions, even if we're not aware of it. And basic emotions help us to quickly respond to the situation at hand and then motivate our brains and bodies to perceive, think, and act accordingly. So this is great news most of the time, right? I mean, if you think about a situation where you're fishing and out of the core, I don't fish by the way, but (laughs) I grew up in a family of fishermen. So I would be the kid who would be sitting by the river, like reading a book. But if you are fishing and out of the corner of your eye, you see movement, you are going to have, you're in the woods, right? So you know, there's animals, you know, there's wildlife. You are going to have something happen inside of you that your body is going to probably perceive as danger or fear or anxiety. And then you are likely to move in or you know quickly to either look closer to see what it is or to hide or to back away um in order to be safe in order to be okay and so our emotions are super important in that way um as a side note this is kind of more funny than helpful but whoa, I grew up in Colorado and we go back there to visit it's like my favorite place um I love the mountains so much and I was hiking with my son. This is about, I think it was about a year and a half ago. And I'm talking to him about like, if we saw a bear, what we would do that we would, you know, I would pick him up and we would slowly back away and we would be calm. Anyway, about two seconds later, a chipmunk, of course, I didn't know it was a chipmunk at the time, like up in the tree and I screamed and jumped. So I guess that's kind of like a funny example of how like, our bodies just take over, right? Like our bodies and our need for survival and our danger and safety alerts kind of take over for us for better and for worse, right? They're trying to keep us safe. Um, So that's a little bit of a silly example, but also you might not want to be with me in the mountains because I will not protect you from the bear. Sorry. Um, So again, it's important to know that our emotions have our best interest at heart, right? They're trying to help us to react appropriately when something is going on. So we also talked last week in episode five about Dan Siegel, and he's the clinical uh, psychiatry professor and educator, and he describes emotion as the inner and interpersonal process that evokes motion and shapes how our body feels and how our mind is motivated to act. So similar, but I think what's interesting about this is he really talks to you about how emotion is also happening between us, right? It's happening between people as well. So despite all of the scientific evidence to the contrary, our culture tends to dismiss emotions as invalid or unnecessary. And we even label people who feel deeply as being too sensitive. 
But being emotional, having emotional attunement, having emotional awareness, understanding our own emotional worlds is clearly super important. They help us to mediate our thoughts, our language and behavior, and then it helps us to predict and behave in our situation based on previous experiences. So it's bringing up historical data that's relevant to this moment of whatever's happening, and then we're going to have an emotional response to it, and then that will elicit a feeling and a behavior. So let's talk a little bit about some of the basic or primary emotions. These are things like sadness, joy, fear, anger, disgust, surprise. These are considered innate We are born with them, and they are associated with specific facial expressions. So another little funny story is my daughter, Larkin, when she was born, she, the very first day she was born, I kissed her on the face, and she made this like, like this total look of disgust. And to this day, she's 10 years old now, she does not like kisses on her face, Um, little did we know she had some sensory stuff and there's something about maybe like the moistness or something that she like does not like that sensation. And so just kind of interesting, right? Something she was born with. So we're born with a lot of specific emotions that are, that are primary and that, you know, are innate within us. Now the intensity of our emotions might vary based on our culture, but they're interpreted and reproduced similarly across different cultures. So different cultures all experience these same primary emotions and they're mostly expressed in similar ways. There was an article from the Association for Psychological Sciences that referenced uh, research done at Stanford that shows that most people, despite their culture, want to feel more positive than negative But what's interesting is that the emotions that cause a positive experience may vary from culture to culture. So that's kind of interesting, right? That um, depending on where you are from, how you perceive an emotion might be different. So the example in the article was that European Americans typically prefer excitement and elation as positive whereas Chinese populations preferred calm and relaxation more. Now, obviously, that might vary person to person, but as a general culture, um, that was found to be true. So this is just an example of how our environment, our experiences, you know, even advertising that we're consuming, our families, how we're raised, trauma, social messaging, how all of that is really embedded in the fabric of how we interpret our emotions. So I was thinking about this with like aging, for example, you know, in Western culture, aging is seen as a really bad thing, right? There's a lot of ageism. There's a ton of money spent on trying to be and appear youthful or to stay looking youthful. We know in Hollywood, it's tougher, particularly for female actresses as they age to get leading parts, Whereas other cultures may cultivate a much higher social value for elders and the wisdom that they offer. So this, again, is just another example of how our culture may impact how we feel even toward ourselves based on like what is valued. 
So we're going to shift gears for a moment and talk about like, well, what is the role of emotions then in our daily life and relationships? Emotions help us understand who we are, what matters to us, how we feel toward our relationships, and how to behave even in social interactions. So emotions help give our lives and our experiences meaning. One article even said that emotions are the currency of human relationships. And without emotions, you and I would not have preferences or desires or grief or sorrow or love or frustration, right? We wouldn't care about ourselves or about others. Emotions help us to pursue our desires, our goals, and our needs. So the next time you feel kind of dismissive toward your emotions, I want you to remember that, that like without emotions, you're not you. Without emotions, your kids aren't themselves. Now, I understand that some emotions feel more positive and pleasant and some feel more negative or unpleasant. But without that full range of emotion, I mean, for one, Brene Brown actually says we can't selectively numb, right? We can't just numb out the the negative emotions and only experience the positive emotions. And so to be alive really means that we can experience the full range of emotions. So we're going to talk a little bit about, well, then how do emotions play into our mental health? And we're just going to touch on this this time, but emotional health is an aspect of our overall health, right? And it's a skill that most of us aren't taught. Unfortunately, right? We're like taught like trigonometry and things that I will never use in my lifetime. I appreciate those who do, but I will never use it but we were never taught necessarily about our emotions. I do think there's a little bit more emotional literacy going into school programs today, but but definitely probably not enough compared to like emotions impact every part of our life, right? They impact every second really of our life, whether we're aware of it or not. And so emotional health means that you are aware of your feelings and that you can work through them. It's about being able to regulate your emotions and the ability to be aware of what you need in terms of support or self-soothing. It means you can experience, like I said before, a wide range of feelings. It doesn't mean that you're just happy all the time. And it's correlated with being able to cope with the inevitable struggles and challenges of being human and that when things happen, you can recover. And of course, it contributes positively to relational health because you can communicate your feelings and needs to those in your life. Now, I do want to say, of course, our mental and emotional health is on a continuum and it's dynamic, right? Like we're going to have ups and downs. We're going to have good days and bad days. We do know, though, that our emotional health is connected to our physical health because high levels of stress and negative emotions can develop other health issues. So again, being able to be in touch with our emotions is a huge part of this. Factors that also might influence our emotional well-being and how we're doing in general, right, are things like health challenges, bereavement or grief, relationship changes, challenges at work or school or home. Maybe you've moved recently or had a huge transition. Maybe you're experiencing trauma or you've witnessed violence. So all of these different things, you know, in in addition to others, maybe like you're, you know, experiencing a financial crisis or 
Um, even like we just had a global pandemic, right? So there are a lot of things that are going to impact our emotional health. So in future episodes, we will also talk a little bit about, more about emotional well-being. But I just wanted to kind of touch into how do emotions play into this sort of whole idea of mental health and wellness? So let's first just talk about like, how do we get to know our feelings? So the first thing is, is kind of like we talked about in episode five, we need to start to be able to observe what's happening. We want to turn on that watching part of our brain. So we want to just start to notice what's coming up and to be able to name our feelings. And uh, Dan Siegel has a saying that says, name it to tame it. But I think, you know, what's happening or what's ha you know, what's happening and what's also powerful about naming our feelings is that sometimes just naming it actually helps us to feel better. And that's true of like if we're a parent, when we name an emotion for our child that they're experiencing, it can help them to understand their internal worlds better. But it also can help calm the part of their brain that's sort of on fire in that moment. And so to notice and name your feelings, you can just start to practice identifying how you feel as things happen throughout your day. Or you could even set aside specific time to check in with yourself. Um, I will attach a few feeling word lists so you can start to identify with more granularity your emotions because uh, all the research shows that the more specific we can get, the better. So for example, if usually you say you're like either happy or mad or sad, you might first notice that and then you might start to check in with the sheet and you might try to find a more specific word. So for example, if you first said, I'm mad, you might look at the sheet and say, no, I feel rage. Or if you, you know, are like, well, I'm upset, but then you're like, no, I feel betrayed. Do you see how those are very different words and they elicit very different feelings? And so again, this is important because as we better understand our emotions, especially when we can practice compassion toward our feelings, which again, if you haven't listened to episode four, I talk about compassion in episode four, but if we can practice curiosity and compassion, we can name that feeling it can send GABA and other calming neurochemicals to the subcortical regions of our brain. So it's kind of helping just to calm all of that down. It's the same when we experience compassion or kindness from another person. And so we can, of course, also talk about our emotions with others who can be compassionate and curious with us as well. As I said, we want to try not to judge our feelings or sensations and we want to, again, offer that compassion toward ourselves. We want to notice any body sensations that you feel. You can even write down what you're experiencing. There are guided meditations on doing a body scan. I can link one of those in the show notes. And, you know, to just allow yourself to feel your feelings. And this might feel scary at first, especially if you've been really inhibited in your emotions throughout your life. It might feel hard to cry or to show anger or to experience these different feelings. And so again, this might be a time where you start journaling, but you also might need to find a therapist if you start to experience like, oh, like, oh, emotions are kind of scary because I'm experiencing all these things that I've been kind of pushing down for so long. And so at first, you know, we might even feel, like I said, a little bit worried or scared about what are we going to find if we start touching into our feelings. And that makes sense. If your whole life you have 
not really been in touch with your emotions or you've been told that they're bad or um, if you've had to kind of keep them under wraps. This might sound more cheesy, but this is something that can be really helpful as well is to ask your emotion, like speak directly to it and ask it to tell you more. You might ask what would help or what do you need or what's making you feel this way right now and just trust what automatically comes up. You also could draw an outline of your body like an or just like a gingerbread body and start to color code where you feel your emotions. So this is a great way to start to track what are the sensations that, you know, go along with different feelings that I experience or different emotions or sensations. You also could draw a landscape to illustrate how you feel, or you could write a story about a character that represents the emotion you're just experiencing. You also could describe what you're experiencing like you would tell a small child. And I say that because it helps you to get more specific and less out of your head or like less out of your kind of like rational brain and more into that felt sense of it. So like, is it squishy? Like the sensation, is it squishy? Um, Or is it hot? So things like this can also be really helpful in getting to know our internal worlds. So I also love the framework that Brene Brown gives us. And this is from her book, Atlas of the Heart, which I will link in the show notes. She also has a really great HBO special that I can link. And what she talks about is, is that human emotions and experiences are layers of biology, biography, behavior, and backstory. So in her definition, she invites us to first understand how emotions show up in our bodies and why, which is the biology part, then to get curious about how our families, communities, different contexts have shaped our beliefs about the connection between our feelings, so similar to what we talked to before, so our biography, Then to examine what are our go-to behaviors. So for example, when I am feeling angry or rage or when I feel hurt or betrayed, what are our go-to behaviors? And I would even expand on that to say sometimes behavior is also like in the form of like a thought. Um, So like I know for, you know, kind of our defense mechanisms, like, um, and this is part of her next step as well, but it might be that you withdraw because the thought that you're having is something like, I can never trust anyone anyways, or something, something that comes up when you are in that more like reactive part of our brain. So you might check in with yourself right now. Like what are some of your go-to behaviors that you find a little bit problematic when you're experiencing a negative emotion? And a lot of times it happens in the context of relationships, not always. Um, or, you know, actually, now that I'm thinking about that, I, I think sometimes like different protective parts of us like might even, you know, imagine our lives being better if we weren't here or something like that. So that might be another one is that like if we experience intense shame or rejection, we might have, you know, kind of existential thoughts or even thoughts of like, you know, suicidal ideation. And I don't say that like lightly, but I think sometimes there's just these protective parts that come up. And then those might impact our behaviors. Like we might, as I said before, like withdraw or we might want like kind of like lash out or different things like that. And then Brene Brown says, we want to recognize the context of what we are feeling and thinking and or the backstory. So like what brought this particular thing on? 
So you can learn more about her framework um, in her book or on her HBO special. She also has a really great podcast interview with Mark Beckett on his book, Permission to Feel. And I, I, I highly recommend the book, but I also really liked the podcast episode that she did with him um, in her podcast. And so I can link that as well in the show notes. So another model that I really like is the nonviolent communication model. And I will also link that. I think this particular handout is actually from Wise Heart PDX. And what I really love about it is it helps you to kind of walk through. And again, we might not be able to do this in real time. This might be something that we do later to kind of help ourselves if we've become flooded or overwhelmed or disassociated during a conflict. And so step one is just to recognize like what was the situation or the, you know, stimulus. Step two is to notice like what's the story I tell myself about this or what's the meaning I'm making of it because our brains are meaning making machines. Step three, and I, I, I like that question especially because I think it helps us to separate, to recognize that this is my subjective experience versus this is what objectively happened. Step three is what are the emotions that I'm having about this? Step four is what are the unmet needs? And there's a list of both emotions and unmet needs on this handout. And then step five is what is my request? And so um, at a different time, I'll like walk through that in a little bit more detail, but I just, I love that. And again, I'll link it as well, but I love that framework because it helps us to really slow down the process. Like if we had a really big emotion, emotional reaction to something to maybe really get clear on like what brought on our reaction. And then to also get clear on like, what are we needing? Do we have a request from somebody else? Or, you know, was there some sort of unmet need that we can communicate? So while these practices and getting to know our internal worlds might feel uncomfortable, there is a high cost of not feeling or not processing our emotions because they tend to grow and they come out in, in negative ways a lot of times and they develop into behaviors or reactions that can be problematic or they can develop into depression or anxiety or increased levels of stress and cortisol. They can also manifest in like relational issues and problems. So I really highly recommend that if you are not in touch with your emotions, that you start to learn about your internal emotional world. Because as we learn to, to be with our emotions, to be with ourselves in our emotions and in our difficult feelings, it is so helpful to us. It's so helpful to our systems. It helps us to be with other people in their emotions. And so it's very, you know, it helps us to build connection. It helps us to have more compassion and also more empathy. And again, I, as I mentioned last episode, it helps our kids too, because as we work on ourselves, that trickles down. And, you know, again, this is a practice, right? Like none of us have this down to a science. We all have to work on this because sometimes things touch us in different ways and they, you know, that we find them upsetting. So it's never like we're going to be perfect, you know, immune to having a reaction or, um, but the more that we, you know, become more comfortable with emotions, like as a side note, I, I think something that's hard is like if certain emotions weren't tolerated for you as a kid, it can be really hard to tolerate those in our kids. But part of our work as the adult is to be able to create kind of a container where we can help our child to regulate and deal with their emotions. But step one is learning how to help 
ourselves in our own emotional experience so we can stay grounded, so we can stay centered, or so when we have some sort of rupture that we can repair and we can kind of work toward that. I'll also link a couple of people that I follow on socials who are really great in terms of parenting, um, just from like, you know, more of the late, the more new research around emotions and um, helping ourselves as we're helping our kids. And so I love following people who work with kids because I need that help too. Um, so go ahead right now and just take a moment, check in with yourself now that we're at the end of the episode And I just want you to check in with like, what emotions are you comfortable with experiencing? And what emotions are you not comfortable with experiencing? And we're not like judging this. We're just like noticing, right? Like what emotions are hard for me to like experience or like, do I want to try to numb out from or like shy away from? And I just want to, again, like normalize it. Like it makes so much sense, right? We live in a culture where even as kids, we teach kids like stop crying, put on a smiley face. So we actually teach our kids not to trust their emotions or to trust their feelings or to override them. And that makes it really hard as adults to like have emotional awareness because we've been taught that like emotions aren't trustworthy. So we want to let our kids have their feelings, but we also want to allow ourselves to have our feelings. Next, if it feels important to you, I would love for you to kind of start to develop a practice for how am I going to check in with myself about my emotions? So for example, I have referenced this before, but when I take time and I don't do it every day, but I really benefit from taking time to check in with myself in the morning. If I, when I, on the days that I do that, I you know, kind of check in with my emotions and, um, you know, kind of like what maybe like any like kind of spiritual or like motivational kind of reading that I want to do also just on what I'm grateful for. And so I actually have a tracker that I can send you. Um, I'll drop that in the show notes, a link to access that as well. But essentially I want you to try to think about like, what is a practice that I could do to start to check in with my own emotions? And so like right now, again, I I know we've done this before today, but I want you just to take a moment. If you can close your eyes safely with whatever you're doing right now, I want you to just go inside. And once again, I want you just to check in and see if there's an emotion or a feeling that's coming up. I also want you to just imagine yourself being grateful for you to take this time that you've taken with me today to learn more about your emotional wellness, to learn more about your emotions. And I want you just to see, so how am I going to incorporate what I learned today? What am I taking away from there? Maybe it's just one little nugget. That's fine. Whatever it is, I want you just to take that one thing with you. So I so appreciate you tuning in today. I really appreciate all the support as we've gotten this podcast off the ground. I still am learning a lot. Um, And I appreciate you bearing weight with me as I figure this all out and improve as we go. Um, You can follow me at jenalley.com. And I'm also mostly on Instagram at jen.alley.therapist. 
Um, if you want to email me something that you would love to hear about on the podcast, it's jen.ally.therapist at gmail.com. So please be sure to share this episode with a friend and also be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'll look forward to seeing you back here next week.